1: supporte darsenal qui rentre sur nickel
2: roche magnifique 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 qui rentre dure qui rentre dure magnifique
1: This is Arscast
3: Extra. Hello and welcome to another ArsCast Extra as always with James from Gunner Blog. James, good morning to you.
1: Good morning to you too, Andrew. It's a bank holiday in Ireland,
3: you it, just told me. It is a bank holiday in Ireland. It's uh it's What day is it?
1: What are you celebrating today?
3: Uh June. The June, June. bank holiday weekend. That's right, what right, it is. Right. Just
1: hooray for June. Hooray for June. June. is here. Yeah.
3: We love June.
1: And who is this June? <laughs> Don't know. <laughs> Don't know. mysterious she's, woman.
3: She's left us with a bank holiday, so we can be thankful for that. What we were just saying, because of the, the nature of the work that we do, um, you know, bank holidays, when you work for yourself, they're not the same. Because... They're just sort of another day and another work day, and we're here working away, slaving away behind the microphones for everyone else, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So you know, it's not the same. Like if you work in an office or you have to go to work uh, regularly, you get a day off. Bank holidays are better for 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 other people, I think.
1: Yeah, but we can be happy for them, can't we? We can.
3: We can and we are. And we, you know, of course, have to acknowledge that, you know, we're lucky to be doing what we're doing. So we're not getting churlish about not experiencing the full benefits of a bank holiday or anything like that. You know, that would be that would be wrong. There are more, no, more pressing <laughs> issues
1: in the world. <laughs> right. Well, Andrew, I mean, in a way, I'm surprised we're doing a podcast today because I gather from my social media feeds that Arsenal Football Club effectively closed for business over. over these past few days. It's finished. Don't. They had a good run, but they are in the mud. They have been bodied, as the youth say. Doors slamming.
3: Willa. Yeah, doors slamming shut sound effect right here. Well, that's the
1: last out. man out of the Emirates Stadium, please turn off the floodlights. I, look,
3: the transfer window isn't even open yet.
1: <laughs> that's,
3: that's the thing that makes and me laugh. And the club's already the closed out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, um... I think it's I think it's an interesting kind of discussion to have. For
1: sure, we're talking about Emmy Wendier, If that's not clear, if somehow you've avoided the fallout from this, his, the fact that he seems to be set to join Aston Villa, yeah. And the reaction that has
3: there was provoked. there was quite a reaction online over the weekend, and you know, there's part of me, um, a large part of me. Look, I'm not standing in judgment or anything like that. Uh, you know, people can do what they want, they can feel what they want, they can react how they want personally i am happy to take some distance you know with things like this given the transfer window isn't open yet and mm-hmm. you know there are there are more important things going on in life in general than to go absolutely crazy about something like this nevertheless i recognize why there is this huge investment in players and transfer targets and and all of that kind of stuff and i wrote about it a bit today in the blog, and I think you know everyone likes signings and everyone loves transfers. And silly season has been going on as long as you know you and I have been writing about Arsenal and beyond that. You know, it's it's a thing in its own right. As much as we want to, um, you know, have a laugh about it, it is. Uh, how would you? What is the word I'm looking for here? Um, not an experience. Not
1: sure. oh, gosh, usually I'm good at this game. You are at good this at this time. game.
3: But this time I can't think of the word not a I condition. Need more context.
1: Yeah, it's like a thing that exists
3: but but um maybe conceptually. I'm struggling with it anyway.
1: Okay. Okay. And like ha- this word. The word exists conceptually, but yeah.
3: practically we don't. I've lost my train of thought here a little bit. But, you know, it is, it is something that we, uh, as football fans and uh, otherwise, have to, to accept is, is a real thing, that people's desire to see the football club do well and invest in new players, you know, people are invested in that kind of stuff. Um,
1: but. Especially when we're bad, eh?
3: Well, that's exactly it, you know. But I, I think a lot of it uh, perhaps stems from fear. Right? Or mistrust of the people who are at the club right now. Because everyone's going like, oh, Buendia, he would be good. He's a good player. He's done great things for Norwich in the championship. And Mm -hmm. we need creativity. And he's kind of creative. And he can score goals. And he can make goals. And that seems like it would be a great fit for us. And... I suppose if there were more trust in the technical director and the manager and the recruitment processes and strategies at the football club, we might not feel as bad missing out on an Emmy Buendia because we would think to ourselves, well, if we're not going for that player who seems like a good fit for us, it is because we have got our eyes on somebody else. We've got a different target. We're going to address this problem. We're going to solve this issue, um, you know, in a different way. Mm. But I don't know, and I can only speak for myself, I don't necessarily have that kind of faith or trust right now. Because I think that there's still so much for for Edu to prove in his role as technical director. And Mikel Arteta obviously has got the input there as well. You know, it's hard to have the faith, isn't it? That when something good appears to pass you by, you think, oh, fuck, we should have gone for that because, you know, we're not going to come up with anything better.
1: Yeah, I think it does come down to confidence in those people and trust in those people. Um, You know, if you think back to the time when we had Arsene Wenger at the helm, we had someone there who was known as kind of an expert spotter, an identifier of talent. And it meant that sometimes good players would come on the market Mm. uh, and Arsenal would not sign them because they were too expensive or their agent wanted too much or, you know, for some reason just didn't think they were the right fit. Mm. But we always had the kind of consolation of he'll find someone in the German third division who's working full time as a cobbler (laughs) and they'll play number 10 for us. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like we, there was, we always had that faith that, that he had it within him to have an alternative that would surprise people and probably prove to be, If not a better signing, then maybe better value. Yeah. And we don't have faith as a fan base in uh, the people running the club to do that right now. Correct. And so every opportunity missed feels cataclysmic for some because, you know, we don't have any belief that there are... Good alternatives, yeah. I suppose.
3: Yeah, I mean, look, it's it's. um I think we have to say, you know, Arsene Wenger had hits and misses in the transfer yeah, market, no, like course. any like any manager. But yeah, I think you're right that the, he had enough of a track record in in finding or bringing in or being able to attract really good players. That you know, okay, it sort of waned a little bit towards the end, but. You know, you 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 had that sort of platform of faith or trust in in what he had done before, and we don't have that with Edu. Mm. Or we don't have it with Mikel Arteta with Arteta, it's because, well, he's never been a manager before. And with Edu, I know he did work at Corinthians, and I know he did the 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 admin work for Brazil, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But when it comes to being the the point of contact guy in charge of recruitment for a, in inverted commas, top. Uh, European football club Uh, you know he doesn't have any track record either so we literally have no idea how to judge the work that he is going to do or is capable of doing this summer beyond what they did last summer and taking everything into account in context you know we all know it was difficult we know it was a difficult market there were so many challenges uh, you know internally and externally at Arsenal but the three transfers they did last summer, two of them were absolute uh, disasters. Um, And one of them was good, but not as good as we hoped or needed it to be, you know? Mm. Um,
1: They forget Gabriel as well.
3: Oh yes, of course. Sorry, I did forget him. So I think that was, okay, you could put that down so far as a, more a, or less positive a, a sign. Net positive, net positive, net positive, probably. Sign. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, you know, Willie Ann and Alex Runerson did not work out at all. Mm-hmm. There, are, there are maybe some some signs, or if you want to take positivity from bringing in Odegaard in January, I think you can do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe you can take a positive sign from convincing Balagoon to stay. But that's a small thing, you know, convincing a 19-year-old striker to stay at a club like Arsenal... Shouldn't necessarily be seen as a massive win, even if that situation was complicated. You know, that's not the hardest sell you're ever going to have
1: as a technical director. You know what I mean? Well, it would have been a big failure, wouldn't it? It would, yeah. Fair enough. That. Fair enough. That's, no, that's no, no, I, but I mean, sort of, therefore, I don't know if we should be lauding him for yeah. not okay. massively. Yeah, failing Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay.
3: Well, I think we've, I, I, I think, that one.
1: yeah, I think Edu, you know, it probably says a lot that to date. I think his most impressive contribution to Arsenal has been the kind of offloading of players that he managed in the January transfer window, which was an expensive, uh, if necessary, exercise. And I think that tells you a little bit about how um, uncertain we are about his recruitment at Mm. this point, that that's kind of maybe the highlight.
3: Here's some Uh, money, go away.
1: Yeah, (laughs) we could all do that, you'd like to think. (laughs) But nonetheless, um, I was still surprised about the, all this said, the strength of reaction that I saw from a lot of people over Buendia. And the main reason I was surprised about it is that while there had been a lot of reporting about Arsenal's interest in Buendia, mm. I hadn't seen it reported in many places that he was a number one or the number one target. So when he went elsewhere to a club who for whom he was absolutely a very clear priority, um, I wasn't massively surprised, you know? What is your
3: understanding of, of the, the level of Arsenal's interest in Buendia? Because, you know, he does seem to be a player we've been linked with a lot and it's hard to sort of get uh, away from the this sort of circular concept of, are we talking about him because we've been talking about him for ages or was there good reason as to why we were linked with him is mm. it is it a case that the club who i think this summer probably more than any other summer are going to uh, as much as possible in the in the current world we live in where you know there are so many um avenues of information I think they are going to keep their cards as close to their chest as possible. You know, from... Mm-hmm. There's only so much they can do, right? Because then you've got you've got players, you've got agents, you've got representatives, you've got vested interests, you've got the other clubs involved, you've got friends, and information can leak out from all kinds of places, right? Mm-hmm. But I think from an Arsenal perspective, I I expect them to be pretty tight-lipped about most things. So you know, let's say, um, information about a supposed bid for Buendia, that's not going to come from Arsenal, for example. It might be something that comes from the player's agent.
1: Yeah, I would imagine so. I would imagine so. I mean, I think it's a really interesting case study of, you know, because ultimately, why are people disappointed that Arsenal didn't sign Buendia? And I think, obviously, he is a good player. And I would say... Arsenal were right to be looking at him. But I think the scale of disappointment is kind of proportionate to the amount of reporting that goes on. So the more we read and ingest and digest the possibility of Arsenal buying a player, the more um, disappointment there will be if that doesn't come off, even if it's for a good reason that we're not yet aware Mm. of. I I think I, I can foresee... A very similar thing happening maybe with Eve Basuma at Brighton because he's another one that just seems to have been perpetually talked about um, as potentially coming to Arsenal. And therefore, I fear that anything other than that outcome will provoke a backlash. Mm. Um, But I think it's a really interesting case study because it's worth talking about transfer rumours, especially at this point in the summer and sort of how they come to be. Because... I have a foot in both camps, really, as a fan and as someone who tries to obtain this information. And you're right. It's really, really, really difficult to find out if Arsenal are trying to buy a player. Nobody really wants you to know that. The club certainly don't want you to know. And the player's agent, if the player's agent wants you to know, I'm sometimes a little bit dubious of it because Mm. a lot of the time when it's very serious interest the player's agent will be reluctant for that to become public because they will fear it will be obvious this has come from me. Potentially, this could jeopardise the interest and the deal. Yeah, And that's an attitude you encounter a lot. But I think because it's so difficult, and I say this from personal experience, if you do manage to find out that Arsenal are interested in a player, as a journalist, it's a huge coup and it's a scoop And so you write about it because why would you not? It's a brilliant story. Mm. And then what happens is, and I have experienced this again myself, everyone else, every other media outlet, every other editor, every other journalist sees that story and thinks, oh, shit. Um, Apparently Arsenal are after X player. Well, we better call up that player's agent. And see if that's the case too. And mm. often they get fed very similar information. And that's why we see kind of the proliferation of similar stories happen. It's all, we're all copying each other because once you're not first, you've still got to have the story. And so what you end up with is from a nugget of information, Arsenal are interested in a player, you get multiple, multiple, multiple stories kind of proliferating. Mm. And it creates this wave of expectation a tsunami of, of yeah it's a, yeah it, it's a snowball effect and i'm not saying this to say arsenal weren't interested in Wendy or yeah. the reporting is bad it's just the case that you know the things we know about we make a lot of noise about as reporters because it's bloody hard to find that stuff out, do you know what I mean,
3: yeah, I mean, is there you know perhaps an element of um you know what, let's say that one nugget, for example, that you talked about becomes a story everywhere, but uh, and i'm not a, I'm not saying anybody at all is guilty of of um you know trying to pull the wall over anybody's eyes, but what is the like Chinese whispers in a way where it, it's slightly different in one story and then slightly different in another story. And by the time it's sort of done the rounds, by the time the tsunami has has um, washed over everybody, what can be genuine, let's say, interest in a player has become, well, a bid is being made or, you know, the player's in talks or, you know, they're close to sealing a deal, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. And it can feel like, something is much closer than it actually is. And that then feeds the disappointment because, you know, you're a fan. I'm a fan. What do you want to see this summer? I want to see signings. I love when we sign new players. I love it. Mm. Everyone does. And the idea, it's like it's like holding a delicious hamburger under the nose of a starving man. And just as he's about to take a bite, you whip that hamburger away and say, actually, there was no hamburger. There was no hamburger at all. There was nothing there. Yeah,
1: you know what I mean. I, I think that does happen, but I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's disingenuous reporting. I no, think no, no. People, that's not what
3: I was saying. But
1: yeah, uh, sorry, I, I'm paraphrasing. Yeah. But, but what I mean is, I, I think that the report. I, I genuinely, especially the people who cover Arsenal and on that Arsenal beat, it's really well sourced information. Mm. You know, they are speaking to the people involved. But I think that what happens is it's almost a a kind of mass media snowball effect where someone might report Arsenal interest in Buendia. And then what we get is five articles of how Buendia would fit into Arsenal or, you know, a thousand YouTube compilations or (laughs) Photoshop's of Buendia in an Arsenal shirt. And I think it's a kind of cumulative cross-platform thing which creates this expectation. The thing about the bid... Or not, if Arsenal bid for Buendia, I've heard really conflicting reports about that from credible people. One thing I would say that's really interesting and that might explain why there is that discrepancy is that bids in football are relatively rare. Mm. You have talks. You might uh, have a phone conversation. You might have a meeting. You might exchange WhatsApps. A lot of things are done on WhatsApp now, like every other business. But that being transferred into a kind of formal written transfer bid is quite a big step. And it's not a step that is taken unless there's a real conviction that it's going to work.
3: How does
1: that process
3: actually come about? Like if a club is going to bid for a player, do they just sort of bang over a WhatsApp with 30 million and a couple of, you know, the money bag emojis?
1: Yeah. Uh, No, I hope not. (laughs) Imagine if that's what Richard Garlick has been brought in to do. They were like, we really need someone to work on our emoji game. Um, Well, I mean, it's different every time, Mm. but the, the, the way in which club buys a player, A, is usually illegal in that it's very rare that they don't know that the player would join. Mm. So that I would say, and I'm not talking about Arsenal specifically, but I'm talking about Arsenal more broadly, is the first thing that you would do is that you would speak to the player's agent to ascertain the player's interest in the move. Not always the player's demands, but certainly whether it's something they would be open to. Mm. In terms of between the clubs... There are different ways. So sometimes there'll be an intermediary who will be kind of the guy who goes between the clubs and kind of feels that out. Other times the player's agent will go to the selling club and say, you know, we want to get our player out of here. What would you think is an appropriate fee? The way it should work really is that, you know, the technical director, Edu, should sit down with the opposing executive and, and kind of have that conversation up front, Mm. it is always a bit more complicated than that. So maybe with Buendia, I don't know. I don't know for sure, but maybe Arsenal said, look, we're interested, we're prepared to pay this, but it didn't actually come to the point of a formal bid. Equally, maybe it did. Um, But clearly, they weren't prepared to match what Aston Villa were prepared to do. And I think... Personally, I think we have to have some confidence that that was a decision taken with good reason, that ultimately they must have had um, a fee they were prepared to pay for Buendia or they must have had other candidates they considered mm. superior. I don't quite buy the idea that Emmy Buendia turned down a move to Arsenal to join Aston Villa. I just don't see that. And I think... If you look at how reports in the last couple of days, as things accelerate with Aston Villa came out, you know, stories breaking Villa are pushing ahead. The player would still be interested in Arsenal. Are Arsenal going to make a bid? It felt to me like an attempt to smoke out serious interest from Arsenal that ultimately didn't come to Mm. fruition. And that's that's my perception. Um, Maybe it's the arrogance of the Arsenal fan. I just think... He would rather have come here if he'd had the option.
3: Yeah, I mean look, um it's it's just hard to to get a hundred percent accurate information on things like this because, you know, once the deal goes through uh and he joins Aston Villa, it'll always be you know, Villa was my was my number one choice as soon as the big game. That's what I wanted. I mean, he's not going to turn around and say, well, I was waiting for Arsenal, but they didn't come in and bid for me or they didn't give me what I wanted. And so I chose Villa instead. That's not the way... And and Villa's a good move. Yeah, of course. A
1: a really good, well-run club. Uh, Beat us, didn't they? A couple of times, I think, last season. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I think it's a great... I think it's a really good signing for them. And I think... It's really smart. I mean who knows if they'll hold on to Jack Grealish well, in the next three
3: years. That's what I was gonna to say to you. Do you think perhaps that the Buendia um, transfer going through early from a villa point of view is a precursor to Jack Grealish perhaps moving on somewhere else this summer. They you know, it gives them a bit more leverage to to um, you know, to negotiate up for Grealish, et cetera, et cetera?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's a great example of a club doing something very smart, which is Mm. effectively getting a replacement in in advance of possibly losing a player. And and I'm not even necessarily saying this summer. You know, we might be talking next summer or the Mm. summer after. But to have acted early and got someone with a similar skill set, I think, shows you that they're thinking very strategically.
3: Norwich I, have it, just announced, Norwich City can confirm that a club record deal has been agreed with Aston Villa for the transfer of Emmy Buendia. So mm, there you go. There
1: you go. I think, I think. so that's that one put to bed. But I do think it is fascinating to, to. and, and by the way, mm. I, I should make clear, I've written and reported on Arsenal's interest in Buendia. It was very real. And he was someone who's very much been, under consideration on their list of targets. That said, you know, throughout last season, it wasn't like the club were keeping the agent or the player particularly warm. It's Mm. not like they were ever acting like this is the big focus for us. This is the one. And I, I don't know what the sort of conclusion of this is really because some people love all this silliness and I don't want to take that away from them. And if what you really enjoy is the kind of rough and tumble of the rumor mill and whether or not things work out and enjoy venting and being frustrated when it doesn't work and being elated when it does then that's fine if you feel however that it is affecting you negatively and making you feel a bit crap i would urge you to take some sort of critical distance from the rumor mill effectively um Mm. but i know that's difficult because like you said at the very top we don't trust them.
3: Well that's it. We don't trust them and we want things to happen. You know, we do want things to happen. I you know, I suppose the other you know, people have people will say we've got um shown up by Aston Villa or you know, those kind of things. Like, mm. you know, Emmy Buendia signing for Aston Villa Assault Reporters is a huge blow. A huge blow to Arsenal. Now, maybe it is, but you know it might be a case that the decision we made to not pursue Emmy Buendia to the to to the death I was going to say but you know what i mean to sort of go toe to toe with Aston Villa on something like this <laughs> to the death that yeah. was a little bit a little bit of melodramatic there uh, <laughs> and you do want to sign alive players they're much much better than uh, the dead ones um you know maybe it says something about what we have either planned or or what we feel like we can do. And I realize, you know, we've talked about not trusting them and how much they have to prove and everything else. And it's easy to be really cynical about, like, every single thing this football club does. Because it's like, we're going to make a signing and you can insert your own joke here about how it's going to be a 35-year-old from Chelsea, etc., etc. et cetera, right? Yeah. But maybe it does speak to a decision being made about who we want and what kind of player we want. Uh, to add some creativity to to the team, because that's still an issue. That's still mm-hmm. a problem that we have to solve in the transfer market this summer. You know, with someone like Buendia, did they look at him and say, well, he plays centrally and sort of in from the right a little bit, but in our squad, we've got um, Nicolas Pepe, Bakayo Saka, and mm-hmm. Emile Smith-Rowe, who can kind of do who do that or play in that area of the pitch, and maybe yeah. we need somebody either more specifically central or, you know, you know what I mean? So yeah, it might be I, a case that they're, what they're looking at, it's not that they didn't think Buendia could be a good player for us, but maybe we need a slightly different kind of good player or creative player.
1: Yeah, maybe. Or, and, and I'm speculating here. Maybe they saw Buendia as someone who could rotate in different positions, but maybe Aston Villa had a very clear idea of, you know, how they wanted to deploy him. It's uh it's an interesting one. I think as well, that Villa have done something smart here that has sort of forced Arsenal into a decision or not on Buendia. I think if you'd asked Arsenal and given them the choice, they would have said, well, ideally, no one will buy Buendia until the end of the window because Mm. he's one of several options we're considering. And, you know, we can wait. And if things don't work out with Martin Odegaard or whoever else we might be considering for that position we can always go back to Buendia. Mm. But Villa have taken that option off the table because they feared that, rightfully so, that that might happen. And so they've acted fast to be like, we're going to be emphatic and we're going to make sure this player knows he's our number one choice. Let's get it done. Mm. And, you know, I I think what, to sort of, not sum up, but what I would say broadly is if you think Arsenal should have bought Emi Buendia then by all means be annoyed because I believe Arsenal could have done that. But if you are annoyed because you think Aston Villa have beaten Arsenal to the player's signature, mm. I'd be very wary of, of falling into that trap.
3: You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I know exactly what you mean there. Yeah. Uh, it You know, the, there's ways that, that stories can be presented um you know, like, like you said earlier about taking a, what did you say? A critical eye on things. Um, you know, look at how certain stories are presented when they are um, released. You know, it's not, Simply a case yeah. of Aston Villa have done this. It's Aston Villa have done this, but Arsenal haven't done this, and it sort of fuels the the outrage machine. You know what I mean? Of it's course, designed- and that's, great. that's
1: good copy. Yeah, I mean, yeah, people, yeah, you know, people eat that stuff up. But I remember when I was a kid at school, we did GCSE history, and there was this whole um, sort of unit on the course about sources, and they were mm. like, it was about you know how reliable. Is this uh, narrator? Who is the source here? And I think at the time I was like, this is so dull. I don't see when this will ever come in handy. But actually, as a football fan, reading news and transfer reports particularly, Mm. that facet, that capability to be like, well, whose voice is this? Who am I actually reading here? You know what I mean? And, and, And if they're a good journalist, it will be a balanced account that amalgamates different viewpoints within a situation. But sometimes it's just parroting what an agent has said. And I think you have to try to get, and you have to understand why that is a story and why it's valuable, because it tells us what the agent thinks. But you also have to engage a bit of critical thinking with it and think, well, this isn't the whole picture.
3: Yeah, I think as well, you have to look at the language of the, the
1: story as well. You know, I think we yeah. have a question about Yeah, is it, is it, it there to, to, do you mean like, is it sort of inflammatory?
3: Not so much that, but like sometimes the language, here is a question, it comes from Pete on Twitter, who's at Ekin Pedro, and he says, what's your favourite transfer window cliché? Personally, I enjoy the contact has been made, but no official bid bit. Uh, it, it makes what I assume to be a WhatsApp message seem like the movie Arrival. But you know what I mean? That, that kind yeah. of thing where you can present what appears to be solid information in a very, very vague, flimsy way, which is easy to uh, back out of or to, to mm. say, you know, If something doesn't happen or something different happens, it doesn't stand up to to scrutiny. But you can say, "Well, look, you know, I never said this, that, or the other." I think you have to look at the language of the the reporting because sometimes, like you know, like you say, if it's a good journalist with good sources and good information, it is presented in a way which uh, you know you can have some faith in that. But a lot of transfer stuff is not.
1: Yeah, that's a really interesting point. I mean, I feel a bit like I'm sort of, um, (laughs) like I'm breaking the magician's circle uh, by talking about the kind of anatomy of transfer rumours. But I do think it's really valuable and and interesting for fans. Like that example of um, contact but no bid is a really interesting one. Because, for example, I, I worked on a transfer story quite recently where that terminology was used and the reason why in that instance was because we ascertained that the club had had some degree of informal talks about a player so that may have been with the agent or with the player themselves or it may have just been internally they were someone who was being discussed as a target mm. but what uh, one ought to do as a journalist is give offer clubs Right of reply on these things. So, you know, go to, if it's Arsenal, Arsenal and say, we're going to report this. Is this correct? And basically, they might come back to you with different answers. They might just say, no comment. We do not comment on speculation. They might say, <laughs> uh, more often than that. No. Uh, they, they might say, they'll very rarely say, you're actually bang on the money there. Feel yeah. free to run that. <laughs> Hang on, Equally. I'll fax you
3: over the details. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh,
1: uh, Or they might say, that's a good idea. Maybe we'll do that. Or they might say, um, they might offer some sort of contextual clarification. Um, in, in the story I'm talking about, it actually wasn't Arsenal, an Arsenal mm. story. Um, but they might be like, well, there's been no official bid made, but mm. you're on the right lines. And then you end up with this kind of like, n- half reporting. But I agree as well. It offers the journalist or the media outlet a measure of protection. You know, it's very easy to say – ostensibly, it's very easy to say Arsenal are interested in, X. you know, yeah. Jack Grealish. But I'm just plucking a name from nowhere. Um, because if it doesn't happen, well, yeah, they mm. were interested, but it didn't happen. You know? Why wouldn't They're they be interested? You. Yeah, why wouldn't they yeah. be interested? Yeah. But what I would say is, f- genuinely, from – from being the other side of this and knowing how difficult it is to obtain that information, I personally don't believe there are any journalists that we would sort of refer to on the Arsenal beat making that stuff up. Sure. I believe absolutely that, and I, and, and I know how difficult it is. I mean, imagine how difficult it is to find out who Arsenal are trying to buy. They don't want you to know. Yeah. So it's a complicated game. There's nothing to be... There's very little to be gained from Arsenal letting it be known they wish to buy a player. And that's why managers treat questions along those lines in press conferences the way they do. Um, so it's hard fought for, that information. And then when you get it, I do think as a fan base, because we're so f- feverishly you know, excited about transfers and so desperate for players that could prove a team what probably started as a relatively small piece of information gets amplified um mm. and, and and you know it's going to be a really long summer isn't it on in that on that front it is you know
3: both in terms of incoming and outgoing transfers there's so much to do and i think we're in a position as you know as a football club everyone can see that uh any rumor Involving pretty much any player of any standard would fit Arsenal. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, If an well, agent, uh, if an agent wants to sort of uh, get his player's name out there a little bit, which can happen, you know, that's that's yeah, that's, that's the, the
1: other side of the coin. Of that course, can sometimes happen. it does yeah. suit an agent. Yeah.
3: You know, so an agent says well, Arsenal are interested in X player, they're interested in my player, just to sort of raise his profile a little, raise some interest. You know, the game is the game. Um... You know, I think pretty much any half decent player in any de- in any position would be a credible rumor for Arsenal because we have so much to do from front to back. You know, there are very few players at Arsenal who are completely untransferable.
1: So rumors it's invo- easy, easier to name positions we're not looking for players in.
3: Exactly. Um, so, you know, it it uh, we are going to run the gamut of the, like the full weight of the transfer window, silly season, whatever you want to call it, will be on us because there's uh, expectation and hope about what we're going to do. There is a demand
1: because of and, where we finished, and the club have have played into that expectation and hope. Let's yeah. be clear in terms of what Michel Arteta has said publicly and about yeah about uh, a backing from the owners and Josh that kind of stuff. as well. Yeah,
3: yeah, you know, so yeah, look, it's all there. It is all there. So, like, you either, look, I think you can take some um, sensible distance from it or you can look at things objectively if you want, but if you're going to be online between now and the start of the season and the close of the transfer window, buckle up
1: because <laughs> because mm-hmm. it's going to be... There's going to be more of this. It's There's going, going to be, be more of this. It's
3: going to be nonstop. So, like, yeah, look, you could drive yourself crazy. You really could drive yourself crazy. And, and the other thing about this whole thing is that the reason transfer rumors and all that kind of stuff, and we've, I think spoken about this before is that it is so delicate and precarious, uh, an industry that really, really good information and solid information can become wrong at the last minute. Yeah. And, something that is reported in absolute good faith with the correct information um without trying to pull the wall over anybody's eyes. You know, at the last minute, a player can go somewhere else. A club can decide to do something different. There are, you know, there are... um Things that can happen, like demands are made at the 11th hour, and a club will say, well, absolutely not. We're not going to do that. That's scuppered the deal, and that's happened countless times to Arsenal and to every football club. So, you know, the, the stuff that is real and actual, uh, actually happening can fall by the wayside very quickly as well, which is why the sort of pretend ITKs and all of those people have these get-out clauses. You know what I mean? They had, yeah. They can use that as their... It's a safety net for bullshit, you know? So we have to be aware of that.
1: Things do change. I I still see. And uh, sometimes, you know, if if David Ornstein tags me in a tweet, I'll always see in the replies, someone bringing up him saying that the Arsenal deal to sign Mikel Arteta as a player was off, uh, unequivocally (laughs) off on transfer deadline day, literally a decade ago. People bring that up and be like, we can't believe anything you say. Um, Even though that was... Uh, as far as I'm saying, it factually accurate for a period of time. Yeah, it well, was. Wasn't
3: off. there like a... did they We called him up and we, we low-balled him on the wages or something like that to the point that like a year later, a delegation of senior players went to Arsene Wenger to talk to the manager about Arteta's wages because he took a, a wage cut to join us from Everton. You know?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think... Yeah, basically his contract had uh, no bonuses in it at all, as far as I understand. Mm. So, uh, yeah, I mean, there was a lot going on that day. Arteta actually drove back to the training ground after training to argue with Bill Kenwright to get that move to Arsenal. Um, But it it is you are right, and it is a very, very fluid situation. And again, uh, this sounds like a get-out, but I think there is a get-out this season for anyone reporting on Arsenal, because... There are just so many moving pieces and so many unknowns in ter- especially in terms of departures that would affect everything. you know mm. Arsenal are planning on buying a striker in this window, but if they sell Eddie and Ketter and Alexandra Lacazette, that could change mm. um, there are a lot of things like that you know at the moment they probably want to do one goalkeeper, but if Bern Leno were to leave, they might consider doing two. Well, they, um, they need to do two with well, yeah. they might No, because they promote Renaissance to one and then just bring in um, a former Chelsea guy as backup. Yeah, with one them. <laughs> yeah, Dimitri Karine uh, from the 1990s. With his baggy
3: tracksuit pants. With yeah. his
1: baggy trousers. Um, but the, just to come back to Buendia briefly, because I feel like we've not, we've talked about it instantly mm. from a sort of transfer rumour perspective, but from a kind of technical perspective, I think part of the reason there's been such outcry over Arsenal not getting the player is I think stylistically a lot of people were kind of enamoured with him. And I think because Martin Odegaard is seen as the alternative, probably Arsenal's first choice in that position, I think there were things about Buendia, namely, I think, speed and dynamism Mm. that people, a lot of people, not all people, but a lot of people preferred. To what Odegaard offers, yeah. Um,
3: I mean, I can see that. And, and was it one of your colleagues at the Athletic who did a tweet about the the sort of stylistic differences between the the creative players that we've been linked with, like particularly between Odegaard and um, I can't remember his name. Yeah, maybe guy? it was Tom Wervel. Yeah, uh, yeah, I yeah. think so. Yeah, and, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. And he said that you know they're not analogous, and you know they're not a like mm. for like. Really? Yeah. And and even positionally, I mean, Buendia played a lot of his football, as you know, off the right last season, um, which Which is is. probably the one position Arsenal don't need a player in. Um, So, yeah, it's... But there is there was, I guess, maybe a sense that Buendia would have offered uh, something different stylistically, maybe something new. And I also think that thing of newness and novelty, I mean, ultimately, we've had a look at Odegaard, And while, I mean, I quite like Odegaard, some of us like it more than others, Mm. Um, it's not like his arrival made us an elite team. Whereas, I guess, any alternative player will always have that allure of mystery and what they might be, you know?
3: Yeah, I mean, look, I can't wait for the start of next season when Buendia scores about three goals in the opening three games in the Premier League while Emmy Martinez is saving penalties with his mickey and everyone's going crazy about the (laughs) the deals that we did. We're going to
1: get serious Emmy envy.
3: Yeah, 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 double Emmys. Um, Yeah, look, I I I can see, like I said, I can see why people wanted Buendia um but look it is what it is now and he's going somewhere else and we are going to have to to do something different in terms of um in terms of transfers i mean what what yeah. what do you um what do you think of the odigar situation um i suppose the fact that carlo ancelotti is now there at real mm-hmm. madrid is a, a positive in the sense that you know he's obviously going to decide who he wants and uh, what kind of players he wants in the squad next season, which isn't to say that that's what he'll get, you know, Uh, given the way that Real Madrid operate. He could easily say, I want to keep Odegaard, but uh, Florentino Perez will say, well, one Odegaard will get me, I don't know, 30% of Haaland or Mbappe or whatever it is, you know. Um, So... Is that a positive in in the sense that like we might know sooner rather than later about Odegaard?
1: Yeah, you'd like to think that um, the fact they've actually got somebody in who can have that conversation. Mm. I mean, it'll be Perez that ultimately probably makes the decision, you would think. Um, and the fact that Odegaard as well... As we were reminded by i think all our listeners isn't at the euros yeah. um <laughs> thanks to our entire norwegian listenership for pointing that out um that should you would think facilitate a, a, a quicker resolution mm. um you'd like to hope so because obviously if it's not Odegaard and it's not Buendia, we haven't heard a lot of other names in that particular part of the pitch. Doesn't mean there aren't them, yeah. But um, we don't know who they are. And well, that we comes
3: back what, to yeah, that comes back to Arsenal playing cards yeah. close to their chest.
1: Yeah, and I'm sure we'll discover um, because I personally think that that position is 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 maybe. Well, we had discussion last week. I mm. think that was my what I picked as the most important. I think you went for central midfield. But yeah. um, it is kind of an extension of central midfield in some ways. I mean, ultimately, this is a team that lack creativity and, and lack goals. And so we, we need to start fixing Yeah,
3: there's got to be someone. If it's not Buendia and if it's not Odegaard, it's got to be someone else, whether we go back for Hour for or something else yeah. entirely. Um, we'll have to wait and see. I mean, if we were that interested in him last um, last summer, would there be a reason why we aren't this summer unless we've got somebody else in
1: mind or somebody cheaper in mind or who knows? Yeah, I, I do have the sense that that interest has waned substantially, which again, <clears throat> it so it shows kind of the vagaries of the transfer market, how a player, you could be prepared to break the bank for a player and then a few months later, not. I mean, the the great case in point is always Thomas Lamar, where at some stage we were prepared to pay kind of 90 million. It didn't happen. We never went back for him. It's like he was at some point worth almost a hundred million to us. uh, And yet um, we we didn't pursue it again. Mm. So, you know, he's not had the best year. I don't think. Um, And I I, I do get the sense that that one has gone a bit cold, but maybe if other targets fall by the wayside, uh, it's one that will come to the fore again mm. as the old journalist get out. <laughs> yeah, well, look, got, look... I've got to put that in as a safety net, you know.
3: That's true, it's true. Look, um, I, like you say, I think there's a lot we don't know and a lot we're not going to know. And maybe, you know, as, as unlikely as it might be, there, there could be some players that come in that, you know, just aren't on the radars. That aren't Definitely. on... Well, I'm not saying they're not on the radars because every fucker has got a radar these days. But, you know, I just mean that players we're not overly linked to will perhaps be some of the the
1: arrivals, you know? Absolutely. And, you know, we are getting new names come up. Um, You know, Ruben Neves is a name that I'd heard a little time before that. And then uh, the Times and the Athletic have both run stories on that interest. I think we've got a few questions about that. Yeah, we'll save that for part two. two. But, but, you know, that name really has come seemingly in terms of media coverage from nowhere. And I think uh, there are other names in the mix that we don't know yet. So that is, I guess, the exciting part of it.
3: Mm. Okay, well, look, will we take a little break right here? We'll come back with some of those questions. Mm -hmm. All right, then. Let's do that. We'll be back in part two right after this. Welcome back to the ArsCast Extra. This is part two, where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter at Gunnarblog and at Arseblog. Also on the Arsblog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an Arsblog member on Patreon. Unsurprisingly, many, 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 many of the questions are about transfers. So I'm going to go first, if you don't mind. We've got a couple here. Um... Let's see, uh, one from Boonana, Ruben Neves, discuss. Uh, another one from McClunky, is Neves an upgrade on Shaka? And uh, one from, boom, boom, boom. Okay, no, yeah, let's do that. There's another question, <laughs> which is sort of, uh, it, it starts talking about Neves, but goes off in a different direction towards the end. So what what do you make of these links to Wolves, Ruben Neves?
1: Yeah, I think Arsenal are, I think he's, he's someone who they're interested in. I don't think it's developed yet. Has uh,
3: contact been made, no beard?
1: Contact's been made, no official beard, guys. Yeah. Um, no, I think it makes a degree of sense. You know, you can see a logic um, if Shaka goes. Well, yeah. There, Sorry. There is a comparison to be drawn between those players. But I think that's a comparison that has frustrated some fans. You know, some people are saying, we want something... Style Again, it's a sort of stylistic thing. We want something stylistically different to Shaka, whereas Neves is seen mm. as similar. Um,
3: yeah, I mean, th- I think it's interesting in the sense that, you know, you could make a good case for Granite Shaka to stay at Arsenal, given everything else that's going on with midfield, with Ceballos gone, you know, El Neni is El Neni. Um, yeah. Lucas Torreira probably going to go. Mateo Ganduzi probably going to go. Uh, you know, there's the Joe Willock question. What's going to happen with Maitland Niles? You know, so you, if you're trying to rebuild the midfield, can you can you clear out eighty percent of it in one window and just buy a whole new midfield? Maybe you can, um, mm. but some people would say, well, if you had Shaka there, he could do a job while you bring in your Besuma or whoever that might be, um, who may not be Besuma. Don't go crazy. Um, so you know, if it's a case that. Shaka is leaving, and you bring Neves in. They're not exactly the same kind of player. And I did the whole um, the comparison matrix on Squawker, which is quite interesting to look at. You know, in terms of yeah, what did that show up? Because what did that show? I up? heard. Go on. Neves yeah.
1: is slightly sort of better defensively. some have said to me than Shaka. Okay. Well,
3: here's what we have: games played, thirty six versus thirty one for Shaka uh, minutes. Th- those aren't really. Um, Relevant, mm-hmm. I guess. Ball recoveries: two hundred twenty-three, two hundred and three, uh, for Xhaka. Two twenty-three for Neves. Five goals for Neves. One goal for Xhaka. Forty-five shots from Neves. Thirteen from Xhaka. One assist for Neves. Two assists for Xhaka. Thirty-three chances created. Neves seventeen chances uh, created by Granite Xhaka. Successful long passes: one hundred ninety-three for Neves. One hundred and thirty for Xhaka. Um. Jules contested pretty similar, um, 280 to 255. Clearances, 40 for Neves, 36 for Xhaka. Interceptions, uh, 65 for Neves, 24 for Xhaka. Neves made 11 blocks to seven blocks. uh, And I'm trying to see, do I have tackles? But I don't think I do have tackles. Maybe I can find that one.
1: Um, It's difficult because Wolves also play... Differently to Arsenal, you know they they tend to sit in deeper. So there probably is going to be more tackles defensive. made, eighty six to fifty in Neves' favor.
3: So yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's an interesting one. I think the 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 issue people might have is if you're selling Shaka for twenty million and you're buying Neves for thirty five million, is that smart use of resources when you're kind of not that it's you're replacing like for like, but you're not necessarily giving yourself a massive injection of uh the improvement juice.
1: You know what I mean? I understand that. Yeah, yeah. but 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 you know but if it's Nevez 24, Shaka's yeah. 28. If you keep Shaka and you don't mm. give him a new deal, that 20 million or whatever is gone. It might be, yeah, 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 It's only I getting get it. less and less. I get it. Um, um but I mean
3: if it's Neves plus plus 1, which I still think there is a need for more than one central midfield signing. Mm-hmm. Like, if he's the only midfield signing, you know. Uh,
1: but what if, if he's... it's Neves and Joe Willock? <laughs> Is that like a new signing? I'm,
3: I'm leaving Twitter, if that's what's happening. <laughs> <You> <laughs> I just wouldn't be able to... That's our starting midfield. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, yeah, look, pff, I guess it's just one of those where... yeah. I wonder, you know, what are we expecting in terms of players? Like, here's another one. Laguna Grumpy on the Discord says, are the players we've been linked with a little underwhelming? Not expecting £50 million signings, but it would be nice to see us go for a few Lokonga-type players, decent in a lower league with big upside or potentially, uh, you know, big upside. Um, So sort of getting somebody from Belgium or the Eredivisie Mm. and bringing them in at a, a relatively young age where, you know, they have the potential to develop into something that could be really good or maybe not, but at least as a sort of strategy, people will say, okay, I can get behind that because, you know, we're a club that doesn't have infinite resources. We have to try and maximize what we get. And if some of that is, you know, taking a a punt on a, on a player who, you know, hasn't quite developed yet, but could... Do people see that as a more exciting way to do business than bringing in a guy who has been all right in the Premier League? Did he, did he not score a great goal against us last season? Or yes, that,
1: well, I don't know. No, that was Mutinho. Moutinho. but he scored some great goals in his mm, time for sure. Yeah, you know. Um,
3: but again, I don't like, think you is
1: buy it? a player for that? No, of course no. not. But yeah, I think Neves is a really interesting one. I. I actually like it more than most. Uh, Maybe I'm just a positive (laughs) person, but I think that what you say about value is really interesting, but I would say that Neves not too long ago was being touted at much higher prices than the 35 million that was mentioned regarding Mm. this week. You know, he was being talked about going to one of Europe's big, big clubs for kind of 60 million plus. Um, because he's always been, you know, he's one of these guys, always been a big prospect. Captain Porto at 19 um, in the Champions League, went to Wolves, was a big part of what they've done there. Big leadership figure, maybe not coming off his best season with them, hence mm. the reduced price.
3: Yeah. I, wasn't there a story over the weekend about how, you know, one of our main midfield targets was somebody in the Ceballos mold? Mm. Is Neves that kind of a player in that he you know he's not going to bring let's say the athleticism and dynamism that many people feel we need mm. but if arteta views him as a kind of upgrade on sabaios is that where the thinking is
1: maybe maybe i don't know for sure my mm. instinct tells me that this this is a shaka replacement that's what my mm. gut tells me, and that maybe even his arrival would be kind of contingent on Shaka going. And and he's not super athletic, super agile. And mm. I know that's what a lot of Arsenal fans want in central midfield this summer. Albeit Thomas Partey provides a lot of that. Um, if he can and stay fit, if he can stay fit, and and you know there was a very natural balance about Partey and Shaka, and if Shaka's going. I guess theoretically having someone who emulates Mm. what he does isn't the worst possible thing. I think anyone, I think Mikel Arteta is always going to want a very cultured, reliable passer in the heart of his midfield. I think that's sort of something that we probably know about him just based on his footballing principles. He wants Um, a, he wants a, Bit of himself in his team. I feel like that. Mm. I feel like that, and I feel like Shaka has become so important to the way we play, the way we build up play, the way we progress and move the ball. I just think that it's inevitable that if he goes, Arteta will want someone fairly mm. similar. Is um, never as good as, Sha- as 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 good as Shaka? <clears throat> I, I really don't know. I I I it's very difficult to answer that. I if he's as good as Shaka was for the second half of last season right now, um I'd be maybe pleasantly surprised. Mm. I mean but yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting one.
3: It is an interesting one and I you know I do think given everything that's going on in midfield unless you know they make a, an executive decision about Joe Willock and say yes, we want to give him the chance, and we're gonna we're gonna adjust the setup, you know, to get the best out of him. And maybe a four-three-three with Neves and Partey and Joe Willick. I know people are going crazy now, but you know, I unless that is the case, I still think if Neves is a Shaka replacement, we still need one more midfielder. So I agree.
1: I think yeah. we need three. I think we need a, a pool of three. You know quality Mm. central midfield players from which to make our choice and you know last season that was Partey, Shaka, and Ceballos uh, and we were without them all at different times and we rotated them I think we need that sort of group again Um, Partey will obviously be one Mm. Neves I think is good enough to be one of the others but there's a third Yeah there's a piece missing isn't there For sure. Um, And I'm not sure there's anyone in the squad who I see as, you know, someone like Mm. Padel Nenny, for example, I see as kind of supplementary to that. If he stays, he's staying as, you know, the fourth guy, you know, the the backup guy. I think you need three that you feel you can rotate without sustaining a significant dip in quality.
3: Yeah. How how much do you think Mikel Arteta is involved in the identification or the green lighting of potential incoming deals this summer in that, you know, there's a lot of focus on Edu and rightly so, and he has got a lot to prove as we keep saying it's his job as technical director to, to deal with the recruitment, but you know, it feels because of Arteta's role, he's not the head coach. He is the manager. So, Mm what we associate with a manager is the ability or the, the right perhaps to veto or to decide who he has in his team. So, you know, that continental model where the coach comes in, the technical director buys the players and the coach has to work with those players. That is not what we're dealing with here. We're dealing with a manager who it feels like is telling and i'm saying this you know without any uh, real knowledge but it, my 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 guess is that Mikel arteta is going to tell uh, the executive uh, recruitment people who he wants or what he wants uh, certainly what he wants and then they might come back to him and say well, what about this what about that or you know he might have very specific ideas about who he wants i want you to go and get this player so does that seem fair um in terms of how this process is going to work this summer. And it does, you know, as as much as it puts, as much as it puts spotlight on Edu, it it also puts spotlight on Mikel Arteta because, you know, he will be ultimately sanctioning or not the deals uh, that we do and the players that are coming in.
1: Yeah, he's definitely involved and I think involved in, in quite an active way. And I think... I mean, the one saving grace for Edu and Arteta is that they can kind of, depending on how things go this summer, point at each other, you know. Mm. Um, mm. But I think as a unit, they are very much in the spotlight. You know, we've we've spoken about that in terms of the Premier League next season and how important performance will be. But I think in terms of transfers too, I mean, this is their summer. Um, mm. And there are big calls to be made. And it seems like a big call has already been made on dia Neves would be another big call. Selling Shaka is a big call. Mm. You know, they are they are taking decisions that they'll ultimately be judged by, and you know they've got to do what they they've got to do what they think is right. Mm. You know they've got to be led by their own judgment, but equally they have to be responsible for those decisions. Um, it's a, you know he starts next season. The manager, I think. Maybe on the back foot is, is a bit much, but certainly with under scrutiny, you know, and, mm. and with pressure on his performance. I mean, we've had a lot of questions kind of about, you know, what is acceptable next season. What would, I, I think I had one here. Let me have a look now. Okay, And the fact that people are already talking in those terms, um, I think shows you, here you go, crumble. Uh, on Discord, with the league our only metric of success, what does our league positioning or points behind the top four look like at Christmas to keep Mikel his job until the end of the season? Conversely, what would it have to look like for a definite pre-window sacking?
3: Pre-window. Oh, well. Look, if we're if we're struggling in mid-table by December, then then I think his job is very much on the line. Um, I think realistically, next season, we need to be comfortably, comfortably in the top six for most of the season. Um, You know, this season was strange in a way, wasn't it? Because you could go from quite low down to quite high up with a couple of results. Like the the points gap between the teams wasn't great. So it's not necessarily that league... Not defending league positions, but you know what I mean? You could be like 12th or 6th yeah. within it six was- points or whatever it might be, you know? Yeah. But but I think with no distraction of Europe, um, with all the benefits that that can bring in terms of time on the training ground, preparation time, the smaller squad, the tighter squad, the lack of fatigue, and, you know... Let's be clear, the expectation that a club like Arsenal should have, if we are not comfortably in the top six and pushing for the top four, then I think, you know, we're underperforming. We're not where we should be. The manager is not getting what he should from whatever squad we have. Like, maybe my opinion on this will change after a summer of transfer business where I might think well, we'll be lucky to get top six. Or if we don't get to top four after what we've spent, et cetera, et cetera. But I do think do as think, a, I, go on. Go on.
1: Now, I was going to say, if do you think then if he's outside the top six at Christmas, he, he'll he go?
3: Well, I think, like I said, I think his job will be on the line. If we're, if we're sitting nine points or 12 points from the top six, well, then, yeah, for sure. If we're, like, if we're one point, if we're in seventh, one point away from, you know, teams that, uh, you know, whoever is in sixth, that it might be only three or four points to the top four, that's slightly different. I think it still would lead to some scrutiny, but it's Mm. not quite, you know, as cut and dry. But if we're, like, miles off the top six come December, he's gone. He'd have to go, no question. Mm-hmm.
1: I think that's right. I think that's right. And I think he can't afford that bad start. You know, it might be that um, he he can't have a season like he did last season. Where it's kind of dismal and diabolical in the first half, but there's a degree of redemption in terms of the results and performances in the second. I don't think he'd survive that again. No. So he needs to start a season well. Uh, at Arsenal
3: yeah I mean a similar kind of uh, kind of question here from uh, on the Discord Nono Sayaya who says uh, we're going to see a ton of rumours for different players in reality what is the bare minimum that Edu and Arteta need to do for you to consider this window a success namely what positions players need to be brought in and sold so what's the bare minimum
1: that Arsenal needs to do in this window yeah um, for me, I'm not really that bothered about the selling in that there aren't that many I'm desperate to get out, you know? Yeah. It'd be nice if William went, but if he's not playing, so be it. You know, for me, it's about what they can get in. I think for the window to be considered a success, they've got to get in a number 10, um... I'm going to say a number 10, at least one central midfield player and another if somebody goes. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Fullbacks? Do you know what? As we sort of said, as I said last week, fullbacks would be good, but if, I I could sort of live with it, I think, if we didn't, if we got in quality players in midfield. And I think we need a backup goalkeeper. I actually think that's sort Mm. of, with Matt Ryan having gone back to Brighton, I think that's pretty urgent, actually. Um, So, yeah, yeah. if if we bought a goalie, um, at least one central midfield player, two if somebody significant departs, and a number 10, and they were all good, and they were all the right kind of profile, and I felt they could all improve us. That's the bare minimum. That's the bare, that's the minimum, yeah. What do you
3: think? I would, I wouldn't disagree with that. Um,
1: Although... I'm thinking at fullback is, it's not a good situation, but you could make do and mend to an extent. You've even got say I would as an absolute emergency option. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I'd like us to buy a right back and a left back. But if the question was, what's the minimum I think I could look at and be like, oh, that's gone quite well. That's that. Yes,
3: I would agree. I mean, I would like to see an improvement at right back. You know, if we could get that player in at right back, it would be, uh, I think it would be quite good for, not just for uh, the defence, but what it might mean for, you know, Pepe or Saka on the right hand side as well to sort of give them that that bit of extra security that we don't necessarily have. And I think, may you know, I, I agree with you, though, like it's it's possible we could make do with Callum Chambers if we couldn't stretch the resources to cover the bare minimum. I'd rather we covered the bare minimum and, you know, use someone like Callum Chambers. You know what I mean? I think it's more important to get the things that you said than a right back. But that's not to say I wouldn't like a right back.
1: I'm exactly the same. Yeah. I want them all. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, What about this? Uh, Paulie boy, you guys have never really said what you expect from Mikel Arteta as Arsenal manager. How far could he take us? And given the sample size, what do you expect from him over the next, say, three seasons, if he were to be at the club that long?
3: That's a... Because, I mean, it's yeah. it's difficult because there's no... Nobody knows? Yeah, but there's no historical data to go off. Exactly. You know? Um, yeah. I think if he... can he get us back into the Champions League? I mean, I think that has to be the target. And if he doesn't get us back into the Champions League, then someone else has to, you know? Yeah, uh, and- I suppose, what, what do you see as his potential? What do you see as his ceiling? Like, I, do you think- I think this is the season where I can make a proper judgment on that, Right. to be honest. Because... It's been so mad since he took over, really. It's been crazy. So it's it's hard to really know or make any definitive judgments because there's been so many other things going on between the end of the Emery era, which came off the end of the Wenger era, which was chaotic, And the rebuild, the structures we put in place didn't work. There was, you know, the squad was in a mess when he took over. Then we had the pandemic. Then there were the wage cuts. Then there was the lockdown. Then we came out of lockdown. Then we had a season where there were no fans in the stadium where, you know, all of these things. We're, you know, transfer windows weren't good, technical or the head of football leaves just before the uh, transfer window, You're scratching around, trying to make signings. January window is a difficult one, also in the middle of a pandemic, etc., etc. But it feels to me like this summer is the one where, and it looks like this is going to be the case, where Mikel Arteta is going to put his stamp on the squad, Mm-hmm. In terms of who stays, in terms of who goes, and then next season it's got to be the one where he he puts his stamp on the team and how they play and how they perform and what you know what way we play. so I feel like next season is going to be the one where the um, the judgment call can be made on exactly who he is as a manager. Does that make sense because like there are certain things that I I feel encouraged by and other things that worry me but when you're given the the license to to shape the squad to your tastes then you then you you're open to to that kind of judgment you know what I mean
1: Yeah, I think so. And I also think I mean this is open to debate, but my personal take is uh, I think I know Mikel Arteta is a good coach. Yeah. And I say that because players work with coaches all the time and they don't eulogise. They don't tend to eulogise about coaches for no reason. I think if you speak to people who've worked with Mikel on the training pitch, it's clear he is a very interesting um, and astute coach. Mm. But that's not his job anymore. His job is to be the manager and I think that's where the gaps in our knowledge are. And maybe the gaps in his skill set are, but that's what we're discovering. We don't yeah. know. Do, do I think, what do I think his potential is? I don't know, but if you're, you know, the question mentioned a three-year timescale. I mean, Arsenal need for him to have been a success. Arsenal certainly need to have been back in the Champions League in that time. Yeah. Um, and you know, in in the very short term, um, you know, we absolutely need to be in the top six next season. I yeah. think, uh, otherwise, it's the project has has failed.
3: Yeah, for sure.
1: I like this is where I think this summer
3: and next season tells us tells us whether this is going to be a project we continue with or one that we have to sort of say, well, we tried. Now we've got to go a different direction again, which can happen.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to work it out. I think when he's joined in December 2019, Mm. I think he signed a three and a half year contract. So that would take him until, so he's one and a half years in now. So at the end of next season, he would have 12 months remaining. Yeah. So you would think that, they would have penciled contract extension talks if he is to stay for kind of the end of next season. You know, it feels like that is going to be, next season, like you say, it's going to be a a, a crucial judgment point for him. Mm. Um, and, And he can't afford, he can't afford the kind of season he had last year. He just can't. No,
3: no that's uh, well below the standards.
1: Um, it is. By the way, I know we talked about Nevers, but I just wanted to touch on this. Average Gunner said, seen a lot of negative feedback around a potential Neves deal. Is this not exactly the type of deal we've eulogised rival clubs for doing in the past? Nevers, to me, has always looked a class act and has been linked with City. Am I mad? I don't know if it's sort of that good a deal, but I do think that um, we might feel... It's expensive, but for a player who recently turned 24, who's experienced in the Premier League, it, it, I don't think the fee is extortionate, and, and I do think if you buy Neves at that sort of price, I don't think you're massively going to lose out on it personally. It's
3: an it, it's interesting in that it sets a kind of um, bar, doesn't it, for for the window if you like. Yeah.
1: If they're like, interested, if they think they could do that, yeah. what else do they think they could do?
3: But then, you know, that sort of might apply to the, to the, the valuations of some of our players. Like if Neves right. costs X, what can we realistically expect for Y? You know what I mean? And this going back yeah. to a question, uh, from Ollie Halliday on the discord, um, he says, the Neves rumors stink of bullshit to me. Not sure that's <laughs> the case. Uh- uh, but it does say a lot that the rumored price is 35 million. If we were to sell Shaka for about 20 million, is it not going to cost way more than that to find a player who is clearly on another level from Shaka? Because I think it's sort of like for like. Um, uh, he said the same can be said for Bellerin. Look at how many, uh, look at how much players like Hakimi, Cancelo, Wan Bissaka, Chilwell, etc., have gone for. Top quality fullbacks are expensive, and we may only get pennies for Hector. Are you worried about how much we're going to generate from sales when the squad clearly needs top quality? incomings if we want to have a real crack at the top four
1: yeah I don't think we can sort of fund replacements on a like-for-like basis I think it's natural and normal that what we get for Shaka, we should have to add to that pot to get his replacement replacement. I, I just think for a lot of these players that we're talking about Arsenal Some of them are a bit older, that's going to reduce their price tag. Some of them, their contract situation means their price tag is lower. Some, it's known that we're willing for them to go, which again reduces their price tag. Also, they might be on exorbitant salaries that Mm. mean clubs can't afford to pay huge money for them. I've kind of made my peace with the fact that probably, with the exception of um, £60 million Eddie Nketiah, or whatever I said last week... (laughs) we're going to get less than we hope for for from some players.
3: What did you make um, of the story about Gendouzi mm. over
1: the weekend where,
3: because apparently we have an, an option, option. Yes. for another year, we're trying to negotiate a higher price with Marseille. I mean, do you look at that and say, yes, that is what we should be doing? We should, you know, as much as everyone knows that we want to get rid of Gendouzi... Uh, And as much as that uh, weakens your hand, we should at least be trying to maximize the revenue we get from players. Or do we run the risk then of Marseille going, well, stick it up your bum, we'll buy someone else. And we're stuck with a player who, who, you know, we don't want who now doesn't really have any potential destination, you know? Yeah. Is, I mean, I that's don't... the balancing act, isn't it, of, of negotiation and, and managing situations like this where, you know, you run the risk of a deal being scuppered um, because you're, you push the boat a little too far, perhaps.
1: Yeah, I think you can afford to do that a bit this early in the summer. I think you can mm. – there's no obligation unless – You know, we don't know quite the financial conditions under which Arsenal are operating, but I don't have the sense they need to sell to make their first couple of purchases at any rate. Um, But I think, yeah, the Gonduzi one. I don't know if the option thing is true or not. I have to be honest. Um, Mm. I'm not sure. But if there is that option, that is worth something. That does affect his value, doesn't it? It does. Gives us a bit of protection.
3: Yeah, I mean, it... It does seem like that would be the right kind of contract for a player to sign, you know, or for the club anyway,
1: four years yeah, plus I mean, an we option for one. heard about Callum Chambers, didn't we? And, yeah. Um, even in the past, uh,
2: Pierre-Luc yeah, the-
1: had the option that Arsenal didn't ultimately take up yeah, yeah. on an extra year. All these uh, sort of Hus's, uh little presents he mm. left behind of these plus one options. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's a smart thing for clubs to have, right? And Arsenal should do it more often. It gives them greater flexibility. It gives them greater protection. Um, players are sometimes a bit funny about them because it restricts their freedom a little bit. Mm. Um, but, you know, they still get paid a nice amount of money. Yeah. And I think often they have to purchase the option. So sometimes the club's have um, the option costs them a certain amount, like a kind of bonus fee. Do you see what I mean? Mm. To kind of take it out on the player as a kind of compensation for, oh, actually you're not free to move. Mm. But yeah, I, with Gunduzi, I mean, I just, I just hope we get what we can. Maybe the smart thing for a young player like that really is to get some sort of sell on. You know, who knows what if he does fulfill the potential he was once believed to have yeah he might move for a lot more money down the line so maybe that's the best way to kind of we, protect yourself we did get in trouble yeah recently didn't we uh, with a there was Super an issue palm.
3: yeah there was an issue with some of the sell on clauses and Joel
1: Campbell yeah. yeah there was a hearing arsenal appealed the decision it was the the allegation or or the punishment that fifa handed out which was minimal it was a few thousand Pounds. I mean, it was very affordable for a club like Arsenal. Was because they felt that Arsenal were restricting the trade in some way or influencing the business of the clubs they'd sold to by saying, "If you sell into clubs outside the UK, uh, you only have to pay us X, but if you sell into clubs in the UK, it's going to cost you more." Yeah, uh, because they Arsenal didn't want Joel Campbell or Chewbacca rapcom coming back to a Premier League team coming and, back to you know, haunt us, <laughs> flourishing. Yeah. Um, And Arsenal contest that, and I think they feel like that sort of deal is actually happening all over the place, and they were a bit unlucky to get pulled up on it, and it's something that they don't want it to set a precedent because they want to try and protect themselves against that sort of thing in the future. But I don't know what the outcome
3: of that was. Chuba Akpom is, uh, currently Middlesbrough. Middlesbrough, yeah. And Joel Campbell is playing in Mexico. He is.
1: Having a a lovely time, I imagine. Leon. Leon. Exactly. Um, Leon. 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 Leon.
3: (laughs) Have you another question, Andrew? Do I have another question? I'm sure I do. Uh, If
1: not, I've got one. Well, you go for one there. Okay, well, I'm going to do this one because I'm going to pronounce the name right for the first time in podcast history. And it's from Gagan J. Georgahanna J.? <laughs> I really, I've I been practicing, haven't you? You've been practicing. Honestly, I saw that question. I was like, I'd like to ask that question, but I still can't remember how to pronounce that name. And then it came to me during the podcast recording. So a real gift. Um, and Gagan jay asks Do you have that insane pre season optimism yet? Like the we can win the league next season type of
3: thing? <laughs> no, not yet. Not yet. you got to give me some time to, to to develop that, to cultivate that over the course of the summer, probably with a sort of never-ending picture of caipirinhas uh, to get me into that <laughs> headspace. But I yeah. do know what he means. I, I, I distinctly, distinctly remember it as a kid. As a kid, like before the season started going, Yeah, of course we can win the league. Of course we can win of the league. We we say, can. Of course. I mean why wouldn't we? We're Arsenal. Why wouldn't we be able to win the league? And then we lose the first game of the season four 0 to Liverpool or something <laughs> like that, you know? Which seemed to happen more than once in the like late seventies, early eighties. Um I could be I could be wrong there. But yeah, no, I don't have it yet. And look, we've got so much to do this summer. Until we get a few more players in few more some players in in the first place, uh, it's difficult to have that optimism, but you know I'm pretty sure there is going to be a point where, despite everything, despite my many years, despite uh, wisdom and despite experiencing arsenal for basically my entire life, there will come a point where I go, "You know what?
1: maybe." just maybe <laughs> if everyone else the, falls by the wayside yeah exactly
3: yeah yeah, yeah. if everyone's around, if we could just, we could just we could get on a little run at the start of the season I don't know why not
1: what is why that why not uh, it's the spaceship oh it's the fucking
3: mower man isn't it it's the mower doesn't man doesn't he know it's a bank um, holiday
1: oh, take it. only an island mate oh, only yeah, an yeah. island um, I mean yeah I'm, I don't have the optimism yet either Aston Villa are going to win the league we know that
3: Uh, Here's a question from Rambo on the Discord. Because it's happening this week. Who is going to win the Euros?
1: Wow. Um, Great question. Who is going to win the Euros? I mean, it's hard to look past France, I think. Mm. They look incredibly strong. Uh, Their squad is frankly ridiculous and they have added Karim Benzema to what was already a pretty impressive looking lineup um I'm just trying to think if there's anyone else I think could run them close is it coming home Andrew I don't believe so I think it's going to be France what about you
3: Mm. yeah it is kind of hard to look beyond France and you just never know yeah Belgium are good you just never know in a tournament about Germany. I mean, I don't yeah. think they're great. You just, but you can't it doesn't ever. Doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and I wonder, maybe. I mean, Spain could be great, or they could be
1: terrible, but they do have quality.
2: Um, what
1: about what do you think about Bukai Saka's England, Andrew? Any chance?
3: I mean, there's talent there, isn't there? There really is some good talent in that team. You know, as much as uh, I don't like to acknowledge the existence or the dribbling uh, of Harry Kane, I don't mean with a football. Um, hmm. Yeah, I mean, Saka, Foden, Grealish, Mount. That is... Sancho. Yeah, Jaden Sancho. Bellingham looks um, a really good player. So, look, they, there's there's attacking talent in England... I just wonder, is uh, is what's his face? The big lumpen guy.
1: Is he going? Harry Maguire? Yeah. Yeah, but I think he's an injury concern.
3: And isn't um, Henderson going as well, even though he, he hasn't so played for? Concern. I mean, that yeah, seems a yeah. bit mad. It
1: that does seem, seem a bit mad. A bit mad. And they, they called up Ben White today from Brighton right. to replace Trent Alexander-Arnold, which... They've sort of had to do because Tyrone Mings is playing quite poorly. They're going to play three at the back. He's not very good, um, that's why. Yeah, it does. it's starting to look that way. Um, and I fear slightly for their central midfield. They've got Declan Rice and sort of the ghost of Jordan Henderson. Um, but I think they could have done with a James Ward-Prowse and they've not taken him. Especially because set-pieces... Historically, is a real thing for England, you know, mm. that's sort of... They are kind of the stoke of international football. Um,
3: <laughs> well, who have they got to deliver the uh, the pinpoint crosses onto the head of an injured uh, Harry Maguire? Well, without
1: Ward-Prowse, mm. I don't know. should call, call up Beckham, really. Um, I don't know who takes set pieces for them. Probably... Grealish? Grealish, Mount... Mm. Uh, somebody like that. But... Um, Yeah, I'm intrigued. I mean, listen.
0: Are you looking forward
1: to the tournament? I think I am, actually. I think I am. Because it's a different flavour of football to the Premier League. And there'll be some fans in some Mm grounds, which will be nice. I'm going, actually, to England-Croatia as a fan at the weekend uh, at Wembley, which will be cool. Right. And... Yeah, I, I, I am kind of... I like the Euros. It feels like in the Euros there's a sort of... the Well, it's expanding, isn't it, and getting big all the time, but the quality feels quite concentrated. And also there's quite a lot of uh, British involvement. Obviously Wales are there and Scotland are there, which yeah. is... You don't get that all the time. So that would be interesting.
3: It's like the see. old days where they used to have that like four nation tournament between yeah. uh England, Wales, Scotland and Northern home Ireland. Nations, the home yeah. Nations. Uh which was always which is always quite fun. Uh it was probably terrible, England, but Scotland, in my mind. Next yeah.
1: Friday night, I mean, that will be uh a big occasion. I think a lot of Scottish football fans are coming to London, even though they're not getting into the stadium, as far as I understand it. Well, I think it's going to be a big day. I'm sure that will day.
3: that will go without a incident.
1: Without a hitch.
3: <laughs> no, but it is. I mean, I have to say, from my perspective, um, you know, having had a couple of weeks to uh, rest up at the end of the season, you know, I can watch these games and just enjoy the football for the football because I'm not invested in any particular team you know you're going to watch games and you're going to say oh I hope that team wins in some of them but for the most part I just want to see good games of football or lots of red cards or you know whatever it might be Uh, lots of incident and stuff to talk about Um, so yeah it's kicking off on Friday, Turkey versus Italy on Friday. Saturday then is Wales, Switzerland, Denmark and uh, Finland uh, and Belgium, Russia. And like you say, England are playing on Sunday against Croatia. Uh, Austria versus North Macedonia.
1: Yeah. Next Tuesday night's a good one for the diary. France, Germany. Oh, yeah. Um, 8pm. That'll be a good game. But, yeah, I mean, the other thing is, obviously, we're talking about Arsenal and transfers, and that's probably the prism through which we'll watch these Euros. You know, we'll all effectively be scouts Oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah. trying to spot a Every, right back.
3: Yeah, everyone that scores a goal, we should buy. Every defender no. that makes a block, we should buy. Every midfielder that, uh, you know, has a good game, we should buy. It's going to be amazing.
1: Absolutely. going to yeah. be amazing. So that's... That's, uh, that's going to be the fun part of it. All right. And then all we'll, we won't buy them, Aston Villa will buy them, will <laughs> implode. Yeah.
3: yeah, we'll have made contact, but without an official bid. very true (laughs) right. well look we'll leave it there for this particular Arsecast Extra as always thank you very much indeed for uh, being with us thanks for listening we really appreciate it Uh, we'll do some stuff uh, hopefully on Patreon during the week and uh, regular Arsecast on Friday so until then uh, take it easy and we will catch you on the next one
4: bye bye